Are you a parent looking for holiday book gift ideas for your kids? Well, don't look any further. A new children's book, Jumo the Unicorn, Manda's Magical Zoo, is making big waves online with its heartwarming messages of inclusivity, mental positivity, friendship, and love. With cute animal characters like a rhino with a developing identity crisis and a pink-haired zookeeper who can talk to her animals, the characters spread messages of inclusivity across the entire magical zoo. The book also teaches the readers to respect their true self, even if they are a little different from others in the mainstream world. This book's goal is to inspire positive values within little readers and help them grow up into sensible, warm, and empathetic human beings. This book would make a perfect addition to anyone's holiday list, whether you have children or know people with tiny humans. It's a can't miss. If you'd like to snag your own copy of Jumo the Unicorn before the holiday rush, you can head down into our link in the episode notes or Google Jumo the Unicorn to find it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble online. Hey besties. Welcome back to another episode of Sunshine and Rainbows Podcast, a space where we chat about moments when life isn't. I'm your host, Amanda, and I am so passionate about peeling back that veil our society has constructed around perfectionism online. When starting my own personal platform on Instagram, I realized that I was getting caught in the inauthentic hustle, and it was severely affecting my mental health, mostly because I was comparing my behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel. Throughout my life, I've come to own that my setbacks were actually just set ups for something better. I found a way to step into my true potential, and the goal is to amplify other voices who have done the same so that someone out there feels seen and that much less alone. I cannot wait to get into this important conversation with our next guest. So let's get started. Okay, so our next conversation is with a guest that is going to blow your mind. Dr. Michelle Finneran is a licensed professional counselor located in Florida. She owns and operates her own private counseling practice, Vet and Associates, LLC. Dr. Michelle Finneran has an undergraduate degree in psychology from Stetson University. She also has a master's in mental health counseling from Nova Southeastern University and a license to practice from the state of Florida. She's achieved a PhD in conflict resolution and dispute analysis from Nova Southeastern University. Her mission in writing her most recent book, Surviving Domestic Abuse, Formal and Informal Supports and Services, is to help victims of domestic abuse navigate effectively through the myriad of formal and informal supports and services. She interviewed real-life survivors and utilized their voices to translate what was helpful in escaping the realm of domestic abuse. Dr. Finneran's passion in writing this book is to provide knowledge, give support options, and ultimately empower victims of domestic abuse. It is also the intent of her to leverage victims' perceptions, reflections, and feelings, and to document recommendations for policy, strategy, and decision-making for supports and service providers. This conversation is one for the books and one I think that every single person can relate to. I'm so excited to get started. So let's jump right on in. Awesome. Well, Dr. Michelle, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. I am so excited to hear a little bit more about your story and the incredible things that you are doing right now. Thank you so much, Amanda, for having me. I really appreciate it. 
Yes. So I would love to give you an opportunity just to kind of tell my audience who you are, what you've done, what you're working on right now. Okay. So my name is Dr. Michelle Finneran. I have a company called Beckin Associates LLC. I'm a private practice clinician. I'm licensed to treat in South Florida. I treat um, preteens, teens, adults, couples, marriages, and families. Um, I have been doing mental health, 10 of which have been in community mental health and 12 have been in my own private practice. So I started relatively young in the field. Um, and I just, uh, it sounds, it seems like right now my practice is made up of first responders, nurses, firefighters, law enforcement, paramedics, um, people in the, people in that, in that first responders mm -hmm. field. I, I have a recently published author from Rutledge Taylor and Francis company, which is an academic company, um, publishing company called, uh, the book is called Surviving Domestic Abuse, Formal and Informal Supports and Services. That's my latest project that I'm doing. I'm hopefully um, going to be beginning a new project um, coming up. And a lot of the, what we're talking about is going to be surrounding that in regards of compassion fatigue. So we, uh, I'm going to be starting another project in terms of that upcoming. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Wow. First of all, congratulations on your publication. That Thank you is so much. incredible, especially like it's one thing to be published, but from an academic publishing company like that, that's amazing. And thank you. The topic is so interesting too, uh, yes. what you chose to write about. So with that being said, you were talking about the topic of mental health and your private practice. What got you inspired to write on this topic? You know, when I was um, in going through my PhD program, one of my um, pra practicums or internships was working for a local jail. And I worked in a local jail in a um, conflict resolution, domestic violence and anger management unit. And they, mm. I was working directly with inmate female in custody um, um, population. And what I began to realize and learn by hearing and talking individually to these inmates and in group settings that this is really like a, a really big problem um, because I was talking to the vic the victims, they who the, the inmates who were then victims of domestic abuse. So I was I did I really had a hard time um, conceptualizing this in my head because I was I was talking to inmates who were telling me that they were victims and were defending themselves. And the domestic violence um, uh, oh relationship. So I really began to realize that this is a this is a really big systemic issue. Um, speaking of this, um, um, starting off with law enforcement. So the the study that I did was a really really big study. It was uh, I looked at um, survivors of domestic abuse and their use of formal and informal supports. So and we talk about formal supports, we look at law enforcement, we look at mental health professionals, we look at um, clergy, we look at judicial system, mm -hmm. we look at, um, you know, all um, lawyers, we look at all types of formal supports. And then I had, I interviewed survivors, many survivors of domestic abuse, and we looked at their informal supports, and we looked at their, their parents, their families, their mm. friends, their coworkers, and their bosses. So I looked, I, and uh, what the first chapter that we talk about in the book is seeking help and some of the barriers that victims and, you know, 
research survivors had such a barrier into seeking help. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, feeling humiliated and embarrassed about this was an issue, not really realizing the, the depth of the issue that was happening. They didn't understand it being abuse until mm. they knew something was wrong and they knew something was wrong, but they really could identify it as abuse until they did their own type of, of own, their own type of research on it. Then we talk about how, you know, uh, this, this, these types of situations are not cookie cutter. They may sound very similar stories, but it's very individualized depending on the victim. And we talk about like, it's not being like how it's portrayed in the media and social media and in the movies is not really how it goes down. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a, that's a drastic kind of end of life kind of scenario that doesn't, it happens, it ends up happening that way in the long term, but typically that's not how it starts. So we talk about all these things in terms of seeking help. And I really investigated survivor stories. I had 90 minute interviews with many survivors and they told me who they used, how they were helpful and how they were not helpful in terms of their formal and informal supports. Wow. Wow. So much of what you said, just like lit me on fire in a good way to where I'm like, ah, now I'm so passionate about what you're talking about. And wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it was a pretty big enduring. And so I, I really, I really, you know, began this, the began originated in a local jail where I was, you know, speaking to and interviewing these inmates, these female inmates who were incarcerated for being victims in for um you know their their abusive relationship it was just i could not i had such a hard time trying to wrap my head around that oh my goodness and with that did you find i don't want to give away your book and all the research that you found but in my mind did you find that certain demographics were in there more than others because of those situations and access to things like therapy and all of that. Yeah, obviously, you know, anybody, anybody is susceptible to domestic Mm -hmm. violence, no matter what demographic you are in. Mm -hmm. Um, So with that being said, higher socioeconomic um, status of a woman, they usually use a private therapist, a private, a private clinician as myself people typically that are lower socioeconomic will use resources if they have access to even resources, mm-hmm. like community mental health centers, um, community um, help like that. But uh, it was a mixture of people, a uh, mixture of women um, from all ages, from all races, from all you know socioeconomic statuses that were there. And it does not discriminate. It can mm. happen really to anyone. So it's really understanding like the signs of what uh, a perpetrator is and, you know, how to identify it and how not to get caught up in uh, a gaslighting situation. Yes. And I love what you said there. And I think that's so important because like you were saying earlier with the media, we have this idea of what we think abuse is, but in reality, just like you said, it can affect anyone, woman or male, any gender, any socioeconomic economic status because Mm -hmm. it's all around us. And so I think like you're saying, it is important to know those signs. And also with that being said, Amanda, right now, the rise of men being, being uh, victims is, is 
significantly increasing and you wouldn't think so, but it, it is it's significantly increasing and they're much harder for men to come out as victims because of the, the level of embarrassment and, you know, questioning their masculin masculinity and all that um, sort of stuff attached to that. So that is on the rise. It's becoming more and more significant that victims are men and mm. they're, you know, they're, it's harder for them to speak up and speak out. Oh my goodness. And I'm a big proponent here of putting the men in mental health and making that such a big deal because just the, st the statistics out there, unfortunately, men, like you said, are less likely to come forward with mental health issues. And unfortunately are the ones taking their lives because of said mental health issues. And, you know, today we're recording this on September 10th and it's national suicide awareness and prevention day. And so, yeah, I absolutely. just find that so fitting. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my goodness. So with you saying all of that, these are some heavy topics that you're researching and you personally are dealing within your private practice. I imagine with this year happening in first responders, there's a lot that you're probably hearing daily. So how do you pour into others' mental health while protecting your own mental health? That's a really, really good question. The first thing that I have to really uh, understand is if I am not healthy mental health wise, I'm not going to be, be able to be there for my clients and their mental health. So that means I, I put myself in check, um, um, my own mental health, and I do active measures on a day-to-day -day basis to make sure that's in check. So the first, one of the first things that I do is I make sure that I go every single day for an hour and a half alone by myself in the, in very, very early morning when it's still dark, a meditative walk for an hour and a half. Mm. And I go with no headphones, no phone. And it's just me and my thoughts and by myself, it's not, has nothing to do with losing weight. It has nothing to do with, um, the scale it has to, it really is, it speaks right into my mental health. And that is a meditative walk with myself that I do every single day weekends. It does not make a difference. And that helps me. It's not a chore. It's something that I do for self-care. Mm, I love that. Another thing that I do is, um, after that I come in and I do, a 30 minute and I, I change it up. I tweak it. Um, every so often I do a 30 minute, um, session of, um, uh, dumbbells, a little bit of strength training statistically show that resistance training reduces stress and anxiety. So I do a little bit of dumbbell work, upper body work, um, at home. Um, so that's about 30 minutes. So I get about before I start my day, I get about two hours to myself where I am really focusing on myself, my physical and my mental health. So that's first and foremost, before I even hit a patient. Mm, I love that. And being in the field of therapy, obviously all of these patients are coming to you. Do you see a therapist? Is that something that's common within the therapy field? Absolutely. It very much is very common in the therapy field. Actually, in my master's program, it was almost like a requirement that we had to um, 
uh, go to a, a, a therapist um, to see what that process looks like. And yeah. they're not, you know, I have a lot of therapist friends that I speak to, but yeah, if there are moments where I'm having a struggle in my own mental health, I have a go-to therapist professionally. That's not a friend mm. that I go to occasionally when I feel like I'm having a struggle or I feel I, a struggle is coming about or seeing a struggle to be preventative, I have her in my back, back, back pocket as a resource. Absolutely. Oh, that's that, incredible. That, that just came, that just came up for me this past year mm. with everything happening. And you know, my, my level of my struggle and what I was dealing with on a professional and personal level. So that's something that I always keep in, in the back burner of my, of my mind when I need some resources and I don't want to go to friends mm-hmm. that are therapists or family members or anybody, but I do have in, in my personal life. Um, personally, I have two primary, three primary support systems. I have my husband, I have my mother and I have Mm. one of my, one of my, one of my close cousins, a very, they're my primary support systems. I don't divulge to them what I hear in the session. I don't divulge to them, but they're, when I'm not feeling my best personally, they're my go-to people. I think it's important to have like a, a a primary support system, a secondary support system, like Mm -hmm. people that you can kind of go to your go-to people. Yes. I personally have a similar support system and it's so interesting how each one of them has different strengths and they complement when I need them most. And so I know who to go to and who's going to tell me, Hey, Amanda, you're overreacting yeah. or who's going to be like, okay, I, I sympathize with you. Let's figure out a solution. You right. Know? Right. Someone and who then, can like, yeah. Someone who can like ground you and yep. kind of like say, okay, you're, you're, you're a little over the top now. Let's mm-hmm. bring you back down. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. and sometimes, sometimes I need that, you know? <laughs> yes, me too. And then my therapist is completely unbiased and has never met anyone in my life. And so she's just like, okay, well, here's an outsider's perspective, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh my goodness. So I feel like that brings us to a really important topic that you had touched on when you were introducing yourself compassion fatigue. And that is a very hot topic that I have touched on here on this podcast relating to my background working in the animal field and Mm -hmm. being surrounded by animals and feeling the need to take care of them because they can't care for themselves in those situations. And absolutely flipping that around with what you're doing in your field, how is compassion fatigue a factor? I know it is, but how do you battle it? I just, just, I battle it. Um, first I, I see it every single day because I see first responders primarily mm. in my practice. So it's very, very prevalent. And that's, that's the reason why I'm taking on a second, a second project of, of this topic. I feel like I really like with, with this topic and with what I've been seeing this past almost two years, I feel like I, I need to pour, um, education and my own research into a, a project. I really do find that my work, um, if not working with individual clients or families or couples, these projects that I'm doing, these publications, or even these podcasts that are happening, mm-hmm. I, my goal really is to educate and to really get people into the know and be informative. And so these, these publications and these projects that are manifesting for me 
I feel are providing that outlet for me in which to pour into. I think that's so important because this is where, you know, obviously your podcast is very important. This is where people go to get educated, to learn if they don't have the money or don't want to actually go to a therapist. This is, this is where they go. They, they get into know by tapping mm-hmm. into podcasts like your, like your podcast. Oh yeah. And that's honestly, the goal is to ignite that spark and hopefully someone hears something in a conversation here and gets them to Google or find a resource. And that's what gets that avalanche going. Yes. But for me, what I feel like, uh, what I, what I feel like I'm starting to start to do is when I find that I'm experiencing something, or when I feel like my clients are really like in the depths of it, mm-hmm. my nurses, my ICU nurses, my nurse managers, mm-hmm. my nurse directors, my um, firefighters, my paramedics, my law enforcement officers, I, I take that information and just knowing, well, I'm feeling, um, I pour that into something that can be um, knowledgeable and um, helpful and teachable and understandable and relatable. Mm, So important. So important because I feel like when we say that word compassion fatigue, people aren't like conceptualizing it right away, but really it is a leading cause to burnout and a lot of mental health issues. Yeah. Well, people don't understand what this term is because they confuse it with burnout. Mm-hmm. It's really not the same thing. It is. It's very different. Very different. So what I find that burnout is, is it's more like a work related stress and you're not, you know, compassion fatigue is the cost of caring as Charles Figley would um, quote, the cost of caring has two different types of things that are different from burnout. With compassion to fatigue, there's a certain amount of, ex- there's a different type of exhaustion that happens. And that the exhaustion is outpouring and giving of yourself constantly. That's a, that's a specific type of exhaustion that you don't really see in burnout. And another mm-hmm. thing that compassion fatigue separates itself from burnout is compassion to fatigue also it illustrates something called vicarious trauma or secondary trauma. Yes. Exactly what compassion fatigue is, is when you hear stories of trauma, when you see things through other people's eyes, when you actually witness something traumatic um, that becomes your trauma. Mm-hmm. Even, even, as a, even as a therapist, I have to be careful, you know, when I'm hearing stories, descriptive stories of like death, dying, um, you know, possible like descriptive things. I have to be careful not to f- slip into my own trauma from my client's trauma. And that's, mm. that's called secondary trauma. Yes. And how do you go about drawing those boundaries for yourself? <clears throat> it's, it's something that you, I never learned in school. They don't teach us into into school, but it's something that it's very, very important that a lot of first responders do and a lot of things that I do. I I, I, I tend to decompartmentalize things. Mm. So things do not, my, my work does not bleed into my personal life because if I let it, I'll be up all night ruminating and thinking about, well, could I have done this differently? What about this? How would I, you know, I would be up all night thinking. So I really really try hard uh, technique wise to decompartmentalize um, uh, my clients' stories, my feelings, and really just try to leave it 
at work. Now, sometimes that's impossible um, to do based on what you hear mm-hmm. and the people that you encounter. So some of it does come home, but I really try to like process it myself and try to figure out, is this something that's going to, I'm thinking about this in, in, in my personal life. Am I something that I'm going to struggle with? And if I foresee myself struggling with a person's a story or feeling like I'm starting to experience secondary trauma, I reach for the professional mm-hmm. in my back pocket that I use um, as, a, as a therapist. Mm, I love that. And I think these tools that you're sharing and giving to our audience is so crucial and something that they can apply in their own lives, regardless of their level of trauma that they've experienced or, or lack of their important Mm -hmm. tools to help through life right now. Absolutely. Especially right now, because especially in the past year, year and a half, two years, people have been really, really struggling. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's been just a struggle to make sure that people are meeting their basic needs. And then we're talking about a routine. We're talking about sleep. We're talking about getting out of your pajamas. We're talking about hygiene. We're talking about eating. We're talking about movement. These are Mm -hmm. are basic necessities of life that, you know, that people are, have lost. They really have lost. So I, it's just about re teaching, re re schooling, re helping, re assisting on parents on how to parent during this pandemic and how people, how teaching, how people, how to live again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And enjoy living because (laughs) (laughs) in my personal experience, the past year or so, I really realized that I was on a surviving stage and not so much a thriving or really enjoying life stage. And like you talk about, it was the bare necessity and the routine of, okay, I get up, I take care of myself. And it wasn't until recently when the coupling therapy with the right cocktail of meds, I really am like, Oh, okay. This is what I've been missing. Wow. Yes. Yes. And it's, you, you said something very interesting, Amanda, that I want to highlight. It's not, you're, you're just, you're not just striving. You need to also be thriving, Mm -hmm. you know, even, even in the midst of this. And I think, you know, that's why when I talk to people, I always ask them like, what are you doing for yourself outside the scope of your day to day? I need to know how you are rewarding yourself when you achieve. What are what are some of the things that you're putting in place for yourself to make you feel like having that reinforcement to continue to want to thrive and succeed and promote your own mental health and your own successes? Yes. And I love that. So my bachelor's degree is in psychology because with the animal training field, all of the behavior principles is what we apply to working with animals Mm -hmm. and you saying reinforcement. That's what I did at my job all day is Mm -hmm. when animals would like participate correctly, then they would get reinforced. And it's so key to apply that to your own life. Like, Hey, I woke up today. I'm going to drink my favorite drink or, Hey, I brushed my teeth today. I'm going to go reward myself and go outside on a walk and just applying that. Absolutely. And you know, you would be surprised at how many people do not do that. Mm. They do not put in, because if you don't do that, what's it feel like a man, it feels like you're eating oatmeal every single day. It feels like blah, you know, this is mundane. I'm bored. Well, let's, let's talk about switching it up. switch up the routine. Let's modify it. Let's tweak it. Let's put some reward systems in place for you. So you have something to look forward to 
you know, something to look forward to at the end of your day, at the end of your week, on your Friday, whatever the case may be. Very important. People do not do that. And that's what leads them to burnout. Mm. That's what leads them to compassion fatigue. And that's, that's a huge mental health crisis. Yes. And bringing up that mental health crisis, like you stated earlier, so many people are finding themselves in the throes of that. What advice would you give to anyone listening that has been, or is currently in some of these situations that you've discussed? Yes. I, I feel like, you know, taking, taking a step back and really beginning to understand that these feelings are, there's, there's, there's some the instinctual gut feeling that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. That's the first and foremost is recognize that something is not feeling right for you, whatever the case may be, whether it be symptoms or a relationship or what have you. And I, you know, what, what my survivors did that, you know, were in abusive relationships, but really didn't know until they were in abusive relationships, they did their own research. They mm. did their, they did their own type, like something is wrong. I don't really know what it is. I can't really identify it. So they went into like forums and chats and they would like school themselves. They wouldn't participate, which is fine, but they would hear stories and they would hear people's lives. And they were like, like, oh my God, this is like similar to what I'm experiencing. And then they would get that information and they do like a Google, Google something or do their own literature review. And they would obviously come up with things that were more identifiable and more understandable to them. So it's like, first thing is like, you don't even know that you might be suffering or in a, in a, in a dysfunctional thing happening until you start to feel symptoms or you start to feel something not feeling right. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, if the goal is to identify what is wrong, what is it that's wrong? And maybe, maybe it's hard to, it's hard to identify that. So if you feel something is wrong, you can't identify it, reaching out for help and seeking out help. If you don't feel like you want to do your own type of research, it's nothing to be ashamed of the mm-hmm. stigma of mental health, getting mental health um, professional help. It, it's, that was in the eighties and some of the nineties, it's no longer in the present. It, it is, it's a necessary, it's a necessary thing right now that people need in their lives. So not being ashamed, no attached to embarrassment to mm-hmm. reaching out for a therapist and having people in your back pocket that are helpful. Not doing that, I think is, you know, doing that is really important if you, if you know something is wrong, but you can't really identify it. Mm, that is so powerful. And just the flipping of that thinking of I don't have to do it on my own. I have a support system. I just need to utilize them. Yes. And not be afraid. Mm -hmm. And this is a big thing. People asking for help. There are certain people that have a problem asking for help. Well, if you feel like you're struggling and you can't do it on your own, you are not alone. And that's Mm -hmm. something that you have to be aware of that asking for help is a sign of strength. It's a sign of empowerment. It's a sign of collaboration. It's a sign of, I am going to see myself on the other side of this. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Now, a quick follow-up question to that first question. You're talking about victims and survivors of abuse and that ties into mental health. Mm -hmm. How can those of us who are not experiencing that 
look out for signs maybe in our friends or in our loved ones? What are some ways that we can maybe identify that to reach out to them? Yes, that's a very, very good question. So when a term where we talk about like victims and um, survivors, um, anyone who might be your friend, you, obviously you're, they're susceptible to wanting to know what's going on in their friend's life. When a friend begins to distance themselves or isolate themselves or alienate themselves from you, you as a friend, I think that's, that's a, that's a, that's a big sign. Mm -hmm. It's a big sign that something is wrong and you might want to assess what is going on. You know, obviously you don't want to push and push the, your, your friend over the edge, but you also want to know, listen, I'm seeing a change here and in, in you and our dynamic, what, what's, what's happening, what's going on in your world. And really, and it's not just asking, this is what people do. And then, you know, how are you doing good? Okay. Well, you're good. Uh, it, it get, that is like, that's surface. That's surface. I'm talking about like going a little bit deeper, caring a little bit more, mm -hmm. finding out a little bit more information about what is going on with your friend. It's just not good. Good is not a sufficient answer. No, I want, I want like, what, how are you doing and really stick with your friend. It's so easy not to switch it right back around on us. But that's the problem is where you were making it about us. Mm -hmm. If you really want to find out what's going on with your friend, make it about your friend. Yes. Stick with them long enough to find out what is really happening. Yes. This past week, I actually had a friend reach out to me and she was like, you're not posting as much on social media. The things you are posting are mildly concerning. And she said in her text message, how can I be an intentional friend to you this that week? Is so good. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. And I was able to communicate her to her what I needed from her. And we were able to collaborate together to find out a system to where now her and I every week are going to check in on Wednesday and be yeah. like, Hey, it's Wednesday. How you doing? <laughs> Absolutely. That that's a great, that's mm -hmm. a great system. That's a good friend. Yeah. That's a really she good, is a very good. That's friend. a real, that's an, <laughs> that's an intentional mindful friend, mm -hmm. you know? And the last thing you want to do is when you are struggling and you are, you feel like you've output it so much. The last thing you need is output more to your friend. You need to fill your cup somehow. And that's why you have your primary supports, your secondary supports, people in your life that are going to fill your cup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All amazing things. Yes. Wow. Dr. Michelle, thank you so much for this important conversation and just sharing all that you're doing for these incredible topics that are honestly plaguing the nation right now. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on your amazing podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing because this is, this is the, this is the go-to, this is the front line where people go to, to get educated, to learn, to get informed. So you're, what you're doing is very important as well. So that's amazing. Oh, thank you. I do want to give you an opportunity to share again, where we can find you, whether it's online, your social media, your book, or if people are interested in, in the South Florida area where they can hopefully come see you. 
Um, yes. So I, I think, did I, did I have, did I happen to send you my list of contacts? You did. And I will uh -huh. link everything in the episode notes as well. Okay. So I can be reached on www.drmichellefinneran, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, FSN Frank, I-N-N-E-R-A-N at.com. And on there is, um, there's blogs, educational blogs. There is a, a place where you can contact me. There is a place confidentially that you can contact me. There's a place where you can see my services. There's a place where um, just, there's just, a, it's a really amazing website. Mm. Um, uh, it's just a great place to kind of look, educate yourself with. Um, and see kind of what's going on in, in, in the field and in the, in, in the world that are coming to light um, with the blogs. The blogs are very, it's called the good, the feel good blog. Mm. And it's, it's, it's a really uh, um, educational resource for, for my, my audience. I love that. And again, I will link all of that in the episode notes, but thank you so much. This was You're welcome. amazing. And so validating in the sense that the things that I've gone through and the ways that I've problem solved have been the right way to go yeah. about it. <laughs> it's nice to hear that validation. Like, okay, I'm not crazy. There's other people going through this and, oh, I made some decent decisions. Along yeah. the way. <laughs> A little confirmation note yeah. there for you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to yet another amazing conversation started here on Sunshine and Rainbows podcast. Each week, I'm quite literally blown away by the voices and stories shared here. The goal is to amplify others' experiences in hopes that someone listening out there feels that much less alone. Thank you again to our incredible guests for getting so vulnerable with us about their own personal stories and for helping each of us remember to look at a situation with a new perspective. If you love this episode or any previous one, I hope you'll take a second to share it to a bestie or even tell us on social media. It really does make a difference in helping us get these conversations out there to the world. If you'd like to share your own story with our audience about how you've overcome something in your life or maybe want to start an important conversation that needs to be heard, please send us an email at hello at Stay colorful and we'll see you next week, besties.